New York City is comprised of a lot of concrete and steel, but throughout the great metropolis is a whole lot of green. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, a farm grows in Brooklyn, and in of all places, on a rooftop. Nice views of Midtown and downtown Brooklyn, and we're growing about 30,000 pounds of vegetables this season. A tour of Brooklyn Grange coming up on Cityscape. But first, Cityscape producer Julia Seabode takes us to the Lotus Garden on Manhattan's Upper West Side. It's located 20 feet above West 97th Street on the roof of a parking garage. The New York Times has called the Lotus Garden one of the most lush and tranquil spots in New York. I'm Nancy Proud, and I'm a co-president of the Lotus Garden as of this year. I'm Jeff Kindley, and I'm the other co-president as of this year. So tell me a little bit more about the Lotus Garden. Lotus Garden was uh, established in 1984 when the Columbia, the building surrounding us, was built. Prior to the Columbia, there was a very, very large lot, empty lot here, which the neighborhood residents turned into a beautiful garden that went from 97th to 96th and halfway up from West End to Broadway. And they were growing flowers and vegetables. It was a sunny garden. And uh, when it was built, when the building was built, the Columbia compensated the neighborhood with this beautiful little gem of a shade garden. And actually, to go a bit farther back, in 1911, uh, there were three amazing theaters that were built on this property. And they were initially legitimate uptown Broadway theaters, and then they became vaudeville theaters, and then they became movie theaters. But they were torn down in 1976, which is why there was this huge vacant lot here that became a community garden. And how do you feel the garden has changed since then? Since 1984? Uh, I don't think it's changed a whole lot. I, I believe it is still uh, the garden that it was meant to be, which is a urban woodland and uh, still a beautiful oasis escape for the residents of the neighborhood. It was laid out back then by a couple who, he was a landscape architect, she became one, uh, and they had been working in the community garden and they negotiated the deal with the Columbia that resulted in the community being given this space. Uh, So when they laid it out, they were very careful about drawing up the plans. And the design of it has uh, been wonderful for the last 34 years. Nothing has changed in terms of the way it was laid out. They wanted sort of rambling paths so that you were surprised every time you turned a corner, rather than have a, a garden that was on a grid where you could see everything. And I see two fish ponds over here. Can you tell me how the Lotus Garden got its name? The the Lotus Garden initially got its name for a silly reason, because there was a man living in the neighborhood who had in his bathtub a lotus that he had been trying to grow. And it was, as you can imagine, in an interior bathroom, not doing terrifically well. So they brought it here, and they liked the name, but the lotus did not survive. And it was only um, four years ago that we reintroduced actual lotuses which are blooming wonderfully and uh, so every year we have lotuses and water lilies blooming in the ponds and we have at this point almost three dozen fish goldfish and koi so it's quite something it's and not to mention an abundance of water iris and mosaic plants 
the ponds do wonderfully well, especially in June and July and August. Now, what differentiates this garden from other gardens in the city? Many things. One is that it is up a steep flight of stairs with a locked gate, which is open on Sundays from 1 to 4, April through November approximately. So it's hard to see and it's hard to find, but when you do find it and you're here, you feel very much as if you're uh, away from the city, as if you're not in the city. You're, you've found a really beautiful escape. I love all the gardens in the city, but I, I feel like this one is uh, particularly enchanting because of the way it is hidden away. And I've lived in the neighborhood for more than 50 years, and for the longest time I walked by and I had no idea that this garden was here because you have to pay attention to the sign on the gate. And so I've been a lotus gardener uh, maybe eight years now, uh, but that means there were 26 years before when I just walked by it all the time. Yeah, so how did you two find yourself at this garden? I assume being in the city there's lots of gardeners and nowhere to go. So how did you stumble upon the lotus garden? Uh, actually, a friend of mine who lives in my building was a gardener here, and I had small children at the time, and she told me, definitely go to the Lotus Garden and it took me a long time to get up here because of the stairs and my stroller. When I finally did come uh, I found that it was a great place for my small children. They really enjoyed it. I enjoyed being here with them but I didn't become a gardener for several more years because it seemed like way too much to take on and in fact when I was asked if I'd like a plot here I said no at first because I didn't think I could take on any more than I had but then I realized that I was insane to say no to a plot to garden in in New York City. And um, so, yeah, I've been gardening in the uh, garden for about 14 or so years, but I've been coming here a bit longer. My wife and I were gardeners in the neighborhood because we live in a large building that has a gated garden area in front of it. And so for 15 or 16 years, we tended that garden and we had 32 rose bushes and people were in love with the garden. And then our building management changed and the building management was not in love with the idea of having a garden out front. So they ripped it out and cemented it over. And we made the news because this was a terrible story. <laughs> you know, this was like a nightmare on the Upper West Side. But we were obviously upset by that because we'd put a lot of work and a lot of ourselves into it. And it was then that I started to think about, well, there is this garden over here, and maybe we could be a part of that. So that was our story. Are many gardeners in the Lotus Garden professional? Have they been working for a long time, or do you feel as though many are just newbies and starting off? Well, we never call ourselves professionals because we're all volunteers and we're just doing our hobby. I think it's a good mix of people who have been here. We have a couple of gardeners who have been here since the garden opened in 1984. And then we have people who just started last year, or the year, actually we have a new gardener this year, um, but he's not a novice, he, he actually is a gardener. It's a mix, it's really a mix, and we don't, um, we don't require that you have any gardening experience to come and garden here. We just really want enthusiasm and dedication. And we do have a mentor system. So when a new gardener comes in, uh, an existing gardener is assigned as his mentor, his or her mentor. And 
So the gardener is on probation for a year to show that really putting in the time and the care that's required. And the mentor advises them on what they might plant in a shady plot or a sunny plot or whatever, or what's worked for them in their plots. What are your most memorable experiences since volunteering at the garden? The garden is a very social place. And we have, like, we have a Halloween party, we have a potluck We have a wine and cheese party for the summer solstice. There are a lot of events. We're a part of the spring and and fall fairs on Upper Broadway. So a lot of this is meeting people and getting together. So a big part of the pleasure of being in the garden is that, you know, getting to know other gardeners. I would say uh, not one thing really is memorable, but what is really brings me a lot of joy is when children come here and uh, you see them engaging because there's so few places for kids to really put their hands in the dirt safely and um, just learn, learn about how things grow. It's, it's really exciting to see that. It's fun for us. We have a granddaughter who's three now and what she loves to do is run around with a little watering can and children can do this they can do no harm they can sprinkle water on on everything and they feel so much a part of of, uh, the garden and we also are sort of increasing this year our programs for neighborhood children to be in the garden and to uh, draw and to uh, take note of the birds and the fish and all of that so so this garden is membership based correct yes yes yes. Uh, it's not difficult to become a member it's it's much easier to become a member than to find the garden that's really the big the big hurdle is finding us Um, but we we welcome people from the neighborhood we we love having new people come up and find us in terms of actually gardening here we are limited to the number of plots we have which is 28. the other thing is that we have surprisingly an international following of sorts because we've been written up in a lot of books and magazines and newspapers and there are people who come from China to see the Lotus Garden. Uh, Also the website helps a great deal because wherever you are, if you have any interest in the gardens of New York City, uh, we pop up and there's a lot of information on our website which is the lotusgarden.org. Right. So aside from being able to come and see the garden, what are other advantages of becoming a member? The main advantage is just being here. It's, it's really exciting uh, to watch as the garden changes over the seasons. Although we're only open from April through November, it, you do really see a lot of change as, as the summer progresses. I'm not sure that I would call it an exciting place. I think it's a very peaceful place, and we have a lot of people who just come, sit, read. Uh, they bring their laptop. They bring a picnic. They have their coffee. They have lunch break. It's a peaceful, very, very peaceful place. We also have people who come to write. People have written books in the Lotus Garden. And it's a, it's an oasis. You know, it's away from everything, and it's a quiet place to work. Uh, you can bring your laptop. You can just sit and read or just enjoy looking around at, at everything that we've planted. What obstacles do you face, if any, with the garden being in an urban location rather than a suburban one? One, I think you can probably tell in that there's a certain amount of noise in the city that you're never going to get away from. And 
Uh, my wife and I had visited a Japanese garden in Portland, Oregon, which was absolutely beautiful. And they had a, a video of the garden with the ambient sounds. So we played that when we got back home and we thought, our garden is beautiful too, but the ambient sounds aren't. You know, there are sirens, there, we are half a block away from Broadway. So that, that is a downside. That's the major downside. Um, other issues might be New York City weather and perhaps a little bit of trash that blows in over the winter. When we open up the gate in uh, April or so, we have a bit of cleanup to do just because the wind has blown so much trash in. But oh, during the season, it's really fine. It's not a big issue. Now, there's multiple different plots all around us. Uh, does each gardener have their own plot? When a plot becomes available because someone has moved away or chosen not to continue gardening, then we have a list of people who have volunteered, who have helped out by watering or uh, just helping with various garden chores. And on that list, when you come to the top of it, if you've indicated that you would be interested in acquiring a plot, then we contact that person and we say, by the way, this one is available. And in the last two years, quite a number, I think four or five have become available that way. So it's, it's more rapid lately than it had been before. There's a bit of turnover. We've just yeah. had more people leave uh, for various reasons in the last few years. Um, but yeah, when, the, when a plot opens up, we look for somebody who's really shown uh, that they have the time and the interest and the dedication and also that they would like to be part of a community. It's not only about gardening, but it's about the people. So uh, that, that comes into it in terms of being asked to, uh, if, if you'd like a plot. But yes, we have 28 plots, 31 members, because a few of the plots are taken care of by couples. And there are other chores. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people who think, oh, it'd be lovely to have a little garden plot in New York City, and wouldn't it be nice to have these flowers and things? But they don't realize quite how much work it entails. And so those are not the sorts of people that we want to become gardeners. Uh, so there is this sort of review of having uh, volunteers whom we know beforehand and then having a year of probation. What exactly is grown in this garden? Is it more flowers, fruit, vegetables? Uh, we're not allowed to grow any vegetables. That is uh, part of our lease agreement with the Columbia. We don't really have enough sun to grow vegetables anyway. So it's mainly uh, flowers, shrubs, and trees. We have an herb garden as well. We have one little corner that gets just enough sun for an herb garden. Uh, but we do have a lot of flowers and they change. It changes throughout the season. Bulbs in the spring, lots of perennial flowering plants in the throughout the summer, not to mention we have a fruit, a couple of fruit trees, a peach, a quince, a baby sour cherry tree, and I think that's it for the fruit trees. Right. And we also buy annuals in the spring and then bulbs in the fall. So that there's a kind of consistency throughout the garden. Uh, it's not as if one uh, part of the garden will be distinct from another in that way. So uh, we buy, say, 60 annuals and then they're spread around. So it gives a kind of unity to the garden. And tell me about this beautiful peach tree right in the center of the garden. 
There's a story to the peach tree that Mark Greenwald, who was the original landscape architect, realized that he wanted some sort of central piece. But uh, at that time, they didn't have a lot of money. And he, at a nursery, found something that was labeled a dwarf peach tree. And the dwarf peach was supposed to be four to five feet high. It is now, it's been here 34 years. It's uh, about 30 feet high. And it, in good years, has an amazing crop of peaches still. Last year was not a good year because even uh, down south in Georgia, there was uh, peach curl that uh, kept the crop from being good. And our crop, our leaves curled up early in the spring as a result. But it's a very old tree and we just hope it keeps, you know, being as healthy as it had been. Do you feel that there's any other restrictions that the city has on the garden? The only restriction is that we must not have standing water. Uh, so our ponds, the water is moving all the time because of our filtration system. And our bird baths are changed, the water is changed every day. That is so that uh, mosquitoes don't breed. Other than that, I don't believe we really have restrictions. We have sort of self-imposed restrictions. I mean, the garden closes at dusk. Nobody can be here after dark. Uh, there's no alcohol, there's no pets. No smoking. No smoking. These aren't surprising, and it's sort of all of these things kind of apply in most city gardens at this point. Even Central Park has a curfew. But those are our restrictions rather than ones the city has put on us. All right, thank you very much. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about the garden? Just that we would love to get more kids up here, so if you're listening and you have kids, please bring them. Yes, and come see the fish. Uh, we, we have very popular fish and many other attractions. We have many statues. We have a, a game for kids, which is uh, we distribute cards with pictures of the statues of various animals and fairies and uh, other figures around the garden, and then they have a... a search to see if, if they can find them. And it gets harder as the year goes on because by the fall all these figures are hidden away beneath shrubbery and flowers. So it's fun. All right, and the garden can be found at www.thelotusgarden.org? Yes. Right. And we're, in our, we're on uh, 97th Street between West End and Broadway. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. This was great. Thank you. Nancy Proud and Jeff Kindley are co-presidents of the Lotus Garden on Manhattan's Upper West Side. They talked with Cityscape producer Julia Seabode. Now we're off to Brooklyn to visit Brooklyn Grange, an urban farm with an amazing view. It's perched atop a former warehouse in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. My name is Gwen Chance. I'm one of the founding partners at Brooklyn Grange. Uh, we're on a rooftop here in Brooklyn. We are on a rooftop. Absolutely amazing. Why don't you describe? This is just not any rooftop. Yeah, this is a pretty special roof. Uh, it's about an acre and a half, 65,000 square feet. We've got nice views of Midtown and downtown Brooklyn, and uh, we're surrounded by a green roof where we're growing about 30,000 pounds of vegetables this season. 30,000 pounds of vegetables being grown right here on this roof in Brooklyn. That's right. We grow lettuces and salad mixes, tomatoes, cucumbers, carrots, pretty much anything that you can imagine finding at your uh, local produce section in your grocery store. We grow everything organically, and we sell them locally to restaurants and at the local farm stands and uh, 
to caterers who come and host events here on our roofs as well. We started our business back in 2010, actually on a rooftop in Queens in Long Island City. So we have two of these farms now. Um, this farm we built in 2012, so this will be our eighth growing, sorry, seventh growing season here. How much work was involved in getting this farm up and running? It was a big team effort, that's for sure. We um, brought about three million pounds of soil up to this roof and uh, had a sizable team laying out all of the soil, the green roof materials, um, and it's a continual effort to keep it going, too. We have um, about 20 farmers that work with us uh, throughout the growing season. A handful of them work year-round. We have some greenhouses that we keep going in the wintertime. Um, but this time of year, we're really hitting the ground running and pumping out as much food as we can possibly grow. We've just planted out, as you can see, all of our salad greens. We've got long stripes of green uh, kind of running down the course of the roof. and. We'll be harvesting two or three days a week all summer long and delivering food to local restaurants. What are among the challenges of doing this kind of growing on a roof in New York City? Um, I'd say the wind is probably the biggest challenge. Much of what we do here is very similar to ground level growing. There isn't that much difference. Uh, we get great sunlight. We get the same pests that everybody gets on the ground level, except we don't have to worry about deer and other mammals, luckily. But uh, it can be pretty windy. And so our, you'll see the plants themselves really grow to adapt. They grow these thick stems, which help them to adapt to the wind. Uh, and then we've devised special trellising systems to help keep some of our taller and viney plants, like tomatoes, cucumbers, things like that, uh, from blowing over. But otherwise, we're very similar to other, other farms throughout the region. What's special about our, our farms is that we're right here in the city. So people from New York City who don't normally get to visit a farm can come here and check out the roof, check out the vegetables, meet the bees and the chickens and look in the greenhouse and really have that farm experience without having to leave the city. Um, so we host thousands of visitors every year from all around the world. And notably, we host about 8,000 school kids every year um, through a partnership with an organization called City Growers. Are you the largest rooftop farm of your kind in the world? Yeah, we're, as far as we know, we're the largest rooftop soil-based farm, uh, which means we're growing outdoors in soil. There's some other rooftop farms that grow in greenhouses that are bigger than us. And they're doing really exciting work as well, but it's pretty different from what we do here growing in soil. So what's your advice to an aspiring urban farmer here in New York City? I'd say an aspiring urban farmer should come and visit an urban farm and, and learn what it's all about before diving into it. It's a lot of hard work. Um, it takes a special type to be an urban farmer uh, or a farmer at all. You really what type to, is that? You have to be a, a patient and steady person. I think you have to be um, really tuned to seasonal rhythms and kind of a daily rhythm of farming. If you like doing lots of different things every day or going off and exploring different types of work all of the time, it might not be the best fit for you. There's a real kind of rhythm to it uh, and there's a lot of cycles and it, it's a job that's physical, it's outdoorsy, um, it's intellectual, it's, it's definitely, there are always new problems to, to tackle on farms, whether it be with through pests or seasonal challenges or devising new ways to grow and ex 
experiment with new crops. But it is, it's a good job if you're a consistent person. Can you do this on almost any roof? Uh, you can do this on any strong roof. So our roof is uh, on an old, about 100-year-old uh, factory building that um, has thick concrete columns throughout. It has a thick concrete slab roof, um, lots of structural steel holding it all together. And um, it's definitely a special roof in terms of the structural capacity. Uh, we have a lot of these old buildings in New York City, so we're lucky, these kind of old industrial warehouses. And then we're seeing new buildings being engineered with strong roofs so that people can do more on them. Uh, it's kind of a wasted opportunity if you don't use your roof for growing food or, or just as a place to hang out to, to enjoy the, the view and get some sunshine. So Brooklyn Grange is a for-profit, but you alluded to this, you have a non-profit as well. Yeah, we partner with a nonprofit called City Growers. We actually partner with a number of nonprofits. Um, we're a socially responsible business. We're a triple bottom line business, which means uh, we're not just looking at profits as our bottom line, but we're also looking at our social and environmental impacts on the community. So we want to make sure that we're we're giving back to the community and not depleting New York City in any way, whether it be socially, environmentally, or financially. Is what you're doing here helping to prevent water runoff, any other types of environmental problems? Yeah, there is a, a bunch of different environmental benefits that you get with green roofs. One of the big one is storm uh, stormwater capture. So we're helping to keep rainfall out of the sewer system and therefore keeping our local waterways cleaner. Um, we're also doing good things for uh, the air. We're helping to create uh, create oxygen. We're helping to... Um, cool the air in the summertime when it gets very hot out. You can really feel the difference when you're up here in July or August. You'll be down on the street level and it's a good 10 or 15 degrees hotter than it is up on the roof. Um, we're also creating a space for insects and birds to find nesting materials, to find food, um, and thus contributing to the local ecology of New York City. Um, so there's numerous environmental benefits, and I would say that the social impacts are huge as well. Um, the educational opportunities that we provide for children, ch children are really significant, um, and adults, I would say, get a lot out of this, just to be able to come up to a rooftop farm, look out over the city, and really kind of re-envision what New York can be, both in terms of food production and the environment, but just in terms of beauty and, and kind of reimagining what living in a city is all about. What's your background? Did you farm before this? I worked at a farm for one summer in college, and I worked at a native plant nursery as well, so I had some background in this. I grew up uh, gardening and composting with my family up in Massachusetts when I was a kid. Um, and when I moved to New York, I wanted to make sure that I still had greenery in my life. So even when I was working office jobs, I always had indoor plants, and I had a little roof space that I would grow vegetables on. Um, and over time, it really just became a passion that that kind of consumed me. And I'd say my, my partners here at Brooklyn Grange, Ben and Anastasia, are also similar people where we love living in the city. We love the, the, the culture and the vibrancy of New York. But we really want to surround ourselves with greenery and also with agriculture. So we managed to devise a way where we could have it all. So what's the growing season here? Um, we're growing pretty much March through November. Depends on the season. I mean, the weather around here has been changing a lot the last few years. So uh, last year we were harvesting vegetables well into December, which is pretty crazy for this region. 
Um, but we have our greenhouses where we're operating year-round and growing microgreens and edible flowers. Uh, and then the outdoor stuff really kicks into gear in April, so we're kind of full bore right now. We've got everything planted out and pretty soon we'll be putting our tomatoes and peppers outside as well. So it's a good time of year to visit. Uh, we're open to the public on Saturdays at our farm in Queens. It's 3718 Northern Boulevard. And uh, if you visit our website, www.brooklyngrangefarm.com, you can learn all about our tours and other opportunities to come and visit. How surprised are people when they come up here and they see what's taking place on this rooftop? It's pretty great. I I come here every day, so I appreciate it, but it kind of becomes normal to me. And then when I bring people up who have never been before and they kind of walk through the door and take it all in for the first time, there's a lot of oohs and ahs and people will burst into laughter. People will tear up sometimes. So it's it's nice for me to be able to see it through people's eyes for the first time again and recognize that this really is a really special place. Gwen, thank you so much. Thank you, George. Gwen Shantz is a founding partner of Brooklyn Grange. More info at brooklyngrangefarm.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks so much for listening.